0: All right, let's uh, let's just open our Bibles to Second Timothy. I've only got one verse here as a as a very brief introduction of what I want to preach about. I'm hoping I'm not going to be too long. I warn you I am a long-winded preacher, so, uh, but not as long as the old-time preachers that you used to sit under who would preach for one hour. I wouldn't think it wrong to preach for one and a half hours, and. Uh, but uh, I realize today our attention span is probably not as uh, as arduous as back then. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You've all read it before. All scripture, everybody say all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it's breathed. God gives us this scripture. He has breathed it and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness so the word of God is profitable it's just easy to uh, remember what this means and that is it's uh, it's profitable for doctrine that doctrine tells us what is true everybody say true that's what doctrine does but the Word of God doesn't stop there because it says it's also for reproof. Reproof tells us what is not right. All right? When you get reproved, when a child gets reproved, it's being told what it's done wrong. So reproof tells us what is not right. And the Bible tells us what's not right as well. And then also for correction. Everybody say correction. Correction is how to get right. So the Bible doesn't just tell us that we're wrong but it tells us how to get right All right, and then finally it says for instruction in righteousness and that means it tells us how to stay right instruction we are, we are taught so just knowing things is probably not good enough we, we need to be taught anyway uh, I, uh, I've read that because this morning uh, we're going to go to a book of the Bible that many, many people think is rather shallow and possibly just a bit of a story and uh, let's uh, let's read it and then forget about it but it is an exceptionally important book in the Bible it is the book of Genesis I'm very much a New Testament preacher and out of the book of Genesis I'm going to be preaching the New Testament Alright, Amen the title of my message is The First Questions The First Questions The Book of Genesis the book of beginnings has a lot of firsts after all it's the first book in the Bible and uh, it's the first place that God mentions many many things and uh, we're going to look at three questions that come up in the book of uh, Genesis this morning I don't know about you sometimes when we get asked questions people get uneasy now if I came down there and started more like I used to be a school teacher ask people questions in the class you would get pretty uneasy, wouldn't you? Amen. Oh, yeah. And I—I I, I was a terror as a teacher <laughs> because all my students knew the first questions would be directed to all the students in the back row, <laughs> and they would—they would come to that door and they'd make sure they were in the front. Nobody wanted to be in the back—in the back of the line because when they got into class, they got the back seats, and they knew then what would happen. Anyway, I'm not going to make you feel uneasy—at least not just yet. Anyway so uh, if I see you going to sleep (laughs) okay so but questions in general challenge us they make us uh, uh, they test us and sometimes they even cause us to ask questions uh, about our deepest intents you know like our parents are saying what are you doing why are you doing that and uh, we learn that as a child don't we However, today, as I've said, I want to examine some special questions. I think they may be the first three questions asked in the Bible. And uh, so therefore, they have to be significant. Yes, we, we know about the book of Genesis. We know that it, uh, it chronicles uh, the, the creation, which is exceptionally interesting. Uh, and as we read on, not only do we realize uh, that it's interesting, it's more than a history book. Yes, there's a lot of history there to reading but if you begin to study there is a lot of instruction there because stories are not given or told in the Bible just for the sake of like storytelling. No, a story is told in the Bible and it has a story behind it. It, it has a lesson behind it for every one of us. And uh, of course, right back in the beginning, right from the, in Genesis, we're prepared for the message that Jesus would bring into the world and Jesus speaks about fallen man, it speaks about the Messiah the one that would come and save the world, in fact it points to Jesus, Jesus himself said for if you believe Moses you would believe me for he wrote about me, oh Moses wrote about Jesus, we never saw Jesus name uh, back in the books of Moses well he did I'll give you one verse here that uh, is right in Genesis chapter 3 it doesn't mention Jesus name but it refers to him it refers to him as the seed of the woman and the Lord God said unto the serpent because thou hast done this thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly thou shalt go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life interesting I wonder how he got around before that. He was cursed, and from that day onward went around on his belly. But the Bible doesn't tell us. Okay, but none of us like snakes, do we? Anybody like snakes? Oh, you do. Okay, are you a snake handler, brother. <laughs> now, snakes snakes are intriguing, but um, I've learnt to keep my distance from them, particularly if they're venomous Um, and then it goes ahead and says I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his sorry and thou shalt bruise his heel okay so here the serpent which is referred to in the book of revelation as the devil uh, and Satan uh, was cursed here, back in the garden Amen but it says that let me just refer back to it and it shall bruise thy head what does it mean? you know, we bruise somebody in the head, just give them a bit of a knock on the head and hard enough and it will bruise them no, it actually meant more than that it meant more than that because back in early times there were certain things that that happened when there was a battle when there was a battle there was always a victor and, and the one that uh, was the king of the victor would take the defeated king, they would capture him and they would make him lay on the ground and the king the victor king would put his foot on the neck or on the head of the defeated king and that's that was the symbol that showed everybody this man has been defeated but in the process of this defeat there would be a cost and that is the one who was the victor, his heel would be bruised and this is the first suggestion in the Bible that if we were going to be victors there had to be a bruising there had to be uh, some, uh, some suffering now, very quickly, I'm moving on very quickly here. Uh, theologians have made up a, a bit of a name. They've called it the Law of First Mention. The words Law of First Mention are not mentioned in the Bible. But we say that when something is first mentioned in the Bible, that it's important. And and from that stems from that first statement that may be very simple, like here in the book of Genesis chapter 3. From that comes a lot of other teaching that branches out uh in the, throughout the Bible in other words we start with something small and then as the Bible goes on it adds to that more and more right through the scriptures and of course when we get to Jesus he adds uh, the new covenant aspect as well and uh, it becomes a key to open our understanding so if you want to understand something very often it's good to go back to the book of Genesis where it was first talked about for instance in the book of Genesis uh, we mention, it's, it, it uh, mentions light in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. and it's a fact there is no life without light all right and Jesus speaks of himself about being the light of the world. And then in Genesis 3:21 it talks about covering and uh, there is no covering for sin without sacrifice, the sacrifice which involves blood. And uh, we know that Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves and God was not happy about that. So there had to be a death of an animal to provide the skins to cover them. There was the shedding of blood. And then I've mentioned it mentions about blood in Genesis 4.4 4, and that is a sacrifice which God will accept is, has got to be a blood sacrifice. There's the mention of grace in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 in the midst of great sin there are those who can still find grace I thank God for that amen yes and then it talks about just being just or being righteous in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 that man can be just he can be just and he can walk with God it may seem impossible sometimes we ask ourselves How can I be a better Christian? It's a good question to ask. How can I love Jesus more than more? And when we come to church, we we just try to reach our heart up a little bit further than we've ever reached before. Why? Because my heart longs for you, Jesus. Amen? This is a rather unusual one. Uh, The first mention of, of atonement is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Only that you won't see the word atonement there. You'll see the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H. And when I preached this, um, my son said to me, Dad, young people in the church won't have a clue what pitch is because they think pitch is pitching at a, at a baseball match. <laughs> well, pitch is a, is a type of tar. And uh, it, back in, in early days, it was very interesting for sealing something to make it waterproof and it says that the ark was pitched within and without but the very interesting thing here is the word pitch in the Hebrew means to cover it means to cover, appease or to atone so the ark was sealed it was made watertight amen and God atones for us with his blood he makes our salvation watertight amen amen it makes us so that we can survive they survived the flood and we shall survive and live and reign with Jesus in eternity first mention of covenant is made in Genesis chapter 6 verse 18 and God has established a covenant with us there's mention of altar in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 this is very interesting because the flood had come upon the earth and God says that uh, that he would reverse that curse, the curse of the flood, and uh, there would be no flood anymore. Hallelujah. So the curse which is upon us can be reversed if we can find an altar where we can worship God and lay our lives upon that altar. The first mention of wine is mentioned in Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. It's a warning because Noah's drunkenness led to one of his sons being cursed so uh, this is an indication of the danger of wine and then of course mercy is in Genesis chapter 19 verse 16 in a very sinful setting God's uh, our Lord can be merciful in a very sinful setting I mean we can see ourselves in this sinful world and we think what hope have we got well we can still find the mercy of God and your children who are out there in this evil world being influenced God is merciful pray for them I mean even if they've been sinful pray that God's mercy will be upon them that, that God will be patient with them amen God was pretty patient with us very patient with me very very patient he is a merciful God now okay that's a bit of an introduction so with each one of us, do you really realise who you are? Do you realise that you have been made in God's image? You've been made in God's image. We we actually are the highest order of God's creation. He created us in His image so that we could have a relationship with Him. What that means is... is Uh, he's not air and we're rock okay what that really means he made us godlike with a small g he made us with a nature that was similar to his and that's we can know God because somewhat he's like us but far far greater than us Uh, we are sinful we have fallen but uh, this is wonderful to know because this is why we can communicate with him And this is why we can love him. And this is why we can know he loves us. The animals don't enjoy that experience. But we do. Man fell. He fell from that close relationship uh, that Adam and Eve had in the garden. But of course, God's plan continues because he wants to restore us back into that wonderful fellowship that we had in the beginning before we fell What what is your relationship with God my challenge here this morning is what is your relationship with God I remember as a young man um, I went to a, a church and we used to sing hymns, I love hymns I love modern choruses too but back then we used to sing this beautiful song and and I know it's old fashioned but back then it used to touch my heart I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Somehow there's some real depth in some of those old hymns, isn't there? But do you talk with him? Can you sing that? I remember when I used to sing it, I would, I was, yes, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. Lord, I want a very, very close relationship with you. And it's so easy to come to church and just know about God. We can sit here and hear the preacher today and And know all about the word of God and know about God, but not know him. Paul yearned for a close walk with God. He said that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that is, just according to the commandments, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead by knowing Paul saying by knowing him I'll know his power and uh, he was saying here that I want to be so close to him I'm willing to be conformable unto the same sufferings that he experienced and that, that's it there's an altar <laughs> yes if you want to get right with God there's an altar and you've got to put yourself on that altar right. and so as I've said I want to open your understanding a little bit today about what I think are the first three questions in the Bible the first three questions and of course being the first three questions they're important so you may like to take some notes. I'm, I'm not really an evangelist. Uh, I, I never have been. I was. Uh, my gift is teaching. So whenever I sort of get revved up a little bit and I get in evangelistic gear, it's slippery. It just slips back into teaching again. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and my first pastor one day when he said, "Johnny, you need to evangelize." It was a bit like uh, uh, Paul telling. uh, timothy to do the work of an evangelist anyway after i tried to evangelize that evangelize that day in a service he said you're an evangelist (laughs) bootlace you've got to understand my father-in-law so (laughs) so the first question in the bible and we'll read it in a minute is asked by the serpent the first question is asked by the serpent He questions God's goodness. Now, isn't that significant? Because he's still about the same tricks. He questions the goodness of God. I mean, this tells us the very nature of the devil right from the start. Have you ever ever been in a mind to doubt if God really... God's way really is the best you don't have to nod but I know every one of you should be nodding you believe in God but you wonder if there are exceptions to some of his commandments or maybe even though God says something's wrong you've thought it's worth trying out anyway don't have to nod but everybody's nodding in their hearts because this is the nature of sin we don't like to think that we would ever listen to the voice of Satan and and sin but we do sin and God has so abundantly provided for us right back in the beginning (coughs) excuse me please (coughs) He, uh, he gave us the garden and uh, Adam and Eve were there it was an enormous garden there's no way in the I suppose in the brief time that they lived there that they could have ever ventured into the corners and the reaches of that, of that garden there was everything they needed in that garden and God said it's all yours except for just one thing one thing now you know as well as I do when you're a child if your mum said don't go to that cupboard that's the very place you couldn't get out of your mind there's got to be something in that cupboard that she doesn't want me to see or she doesn't want me to eat or I have just cooked something special and put it in the fridge I don't want you touching it Mm. and the moment mum's gone out of the room well the first thing is I'll just have a look I'll just have a look. That's what happened here. I'll just have a look. Then when I was in school, in primary school, there was a story about a boy who was sent down the street to buy a, a jar of honey by his mother. And uh, when he purchased the honey and walking back to the house, he thought, I'll just have one taste. And the question that goes on in the question when he got back, how come the, the honey jar is half full? So then he tells a lie. We're still doing the same thing. Cover up. Anyway, let's uh, let's look at it. God has abundantly provided so many things in our life, and He provided the woman that would meet His every every need. Good on you, ladies. But this first question was directed by Satan to raise doubts about the goodness of God. It says in Genesis 3 verse 1, here it is. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? in other words did he really say that well it so happened that God did not say it to Eve God spoke to Adam but now Satan this serpent is attacking the woman did God really say this to some respect here possibly also calling her husband into question did he really tell you the right thing did he really tell you you must not eat of this tree hey you're missing out on something the thought is sown in the mind and this is the nature of the work of Satan to convince you that you're missing out on something strange how we find it very easy to listen to the voice of Satan recently I was in a home friendship group where we talked about hearing the voice of God and uh, in my home friendship group I have um, well, my wife and I have three doctors uh, a, a computer engineer some highly educated people and, and we said well who's ever heard the voice of God and we really had to think about whether we'd heard the voice of God then I asked who's ever heard the voice of the devil and everybody yeah we've heard the how come we can hear the voice of Satan and we find it hard to hear the voice of God. Well, let me tell you, you can't hear something if it's turned down and something else is turned much louder. And there's something that makes the voice of Satan very loud in your life and that's your flesh. Because Satan will appear to your appeal to your flesh, turn up the volume, your needs, what you want, what you need. you've been kept from some real beautiful pleasures here, and God's trying to keep it from you, and so let's realize we can't listen to two voices at the same time, so therefore we need to read God's word. Here it is. I read about all scripture is given by inspiration of God, read God's word, and when you're reading it allow the volume to be turned up just don't read the words let God read your heart while you're reading the words <coughs> when I was in high school doing English literature and uh, I was never inclined to the humanities and, and English or anything like that you may already know that by listening to me um, uh, my studies were in other areas and, uh, but I really enjoyed my English literature teacher when we did Shakespeare and uh, his name was Mr Phillips he brought English literature alive and I didn't ever think Shakespeare could ever be alive but when, when he taught it he jumped across the room he was in the sword fights and he was in everything you know the the pound of flesh and he, he described just imagine carving a pound of flesh off somebody and of course all, all of us boys it was a boys class we thought man this really really good teacher but one day one day uh, in, in our English literature he said there is one book that stands out above all books and was it, well, what book of, uh, of Shakespeare's is that and he surprised me he said it's the Bible now he wasn't really a godly man I'll tell you that but here he is saying the Bible is the best book that has ever been printed and uh, he said you want to know why and we all want to know why he, he, he said he went through and he, he stated you know it's a book of action a love book and and all that but he said above all that above all that it's the only book that talks he said and he wasn't a godly man he said whenever he read the bible it talked because it's God's word it's God's breathed word to read it God speaks to us amen All right. Jesus was tempted the devil then how did he handle that that temptation he took God's word and he gave it back to Satan that's the way you will be able to fight temptation and fight uh, things that, that come upon you use the word of God fight back with the word of God because Satan will say you're missing out on something and you've just got to respond back to Satan and say oh no I'm not I'm not missing out on anything oh Satan (laughs) I'll tell you one thing and you don't want to hear it you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven then the devil adds you won't die nothing as tragic as that's going to happen to you and of course, he, he takes certain things and makes them sound true. But here, Satan insinuates with the words that he speaks that God has a bad motive. For God knows that when you eat from of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Or let me put it my way. Hey, God wants to keep you from something Something that you know or you don't know right now is pretty good. And uh, isn't that the way he speaks to all of us? Not in those precise words. Yeah. You know, it's often the case that we swallow a lie before we eat the apple. Of course, the Bible doesn't talk about that, but that we swallow something that's been forbidden. We believe a lie to start off with. The fruit looked good, pleasing to the eye. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. They sowed. They 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 realised that 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 their, their eyes were open. They were sinners. They they hid themselves. They sowed fig leaves together. Strange how men are still sowing fig leaves together on the beach these days, um, thinking that's going to cover their nakedness but God wasn't happy with those fig leaves why wasn't he happy with the fig leaves because it wasn't just about their natural being because their nakedness they were spiritually naked now and they needed a covering and so Adam and Eve's relationship was broken the very first thing they did was try to hide they tried to hide if only we would stop hiding If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Come to the altar and seek Him. You don't have to hide Him. I'm not telling you you have to tell man about Him. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, coming and kneeling at the altar is... uh, it's not something easy because you've got to bury your pride before you come out here. We all know. We're not, we're not foolish enough just to know that if we kneel at an altar that that's going to solve everything. You've got to come and pull your heart out before God. It says godly sorrow works repentance, the Bible says. So whenever we fall away from God, he is searching for us so we come to the question in the Bible the first question God asks in the Bible we've just handled the first question that Satan asked but now the first question that God asks. <coughs> excuse me a, a bit of a bad cough which is persisting over a couple of days here you want to know what God the first question God asks. this is a revelation they have sinned They have disobeyed God. Now they're hiding. Does God know where they are? Of course he does. You can't hide from God. Nobody can hide from God. Not only can he see you, but he he knows the thoughts of your heart. And so they're hiding from God in the garden, behind the bushes. So God goes through a process because He wants them to know that he's looking for them. Where art thou, Adam? Is the question. Now, please understand, these are the first humans who walked upon the face of the earth. They have just done what God told them not to do. And as a result of that, all of humanity has now fallen. As by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin and now death has passed upon all men. Do you realize what happened at that particular moment? Well, our inclination would be wipe them out! After all, that's why we sin. That was not God. Adam, Adam, where are you? And as I said, he knew where they were. Adam, where are you? And God is still looking for those who fall into sin. He's still looking for his fallen creation. This shows the heart of God. We've already looked at the heart of Satan. But now we see the heart of God as a forgiving God. A God who pursues after us, even though... We have sinned, even though we have disappointed him. Even though we have ruined everything. A God who comes looking for us. Where art thou, Adam? Where are you? I'm looking for you. And every time you come into church, he's looking for you. And you're sitting there thinking you're hiding. We're not hiding. We can't. We're fools to even think that we can hide anything from God. But we have a free will. We have a free will. We've got to come out from undercover and say, Lord, I want to bury my pride. and I want to tell you, Lord, how much I really, really need you. I need you. And I can hear your voice, but something's telling me, hide, but oh God, help me to reach out to you. Yeah, when you come out of hiding God will ask some other questions well how did you know that you were naked so there's a little bit of confession about things got to go on uh, well God yeah, I've sinned I'm a rebel that's the basis of sin is rebellion you sin because you rebelled against God you did what you thought you knew it was wrong but you just thought you would try it anyway just think if you want to know very much about God, just think of your relationship with your children and think about the way you behaved yourself when you were a child because God deals with us as children. yeah I've already said tell a child they're not to do something and they will seek to do it. yeah am I telling you something you don't know? my little grandson he was on the back veranda I'd been doing a bit of work he's got a a plastic drill set and he goes around the house he's a bit of a terror drilling everything screwdrivers and all that he's got this tool kit and he came out on the back veranda and he was walking with me and his eyes looked up and he's granddad's drill the real thing I could see him there he's a three, three year old you know and I said, "Don't you touch that? You must not touch it." I was getting it charged. You mustn't touch it." My wife was out shopping, and, and he would then came in with me into the family room, and I heard the door open, and I he, my study, his window was out on the back veranda, and there I see him <laughs> And he's on the back veranda when I come out, and he's looking at my drill he was only looking but he was he was con- contemplating touching I said I told you not to touch it get inside so he goes back inside but he was out there again before the day was finished <laughs> <clears> that's <throat> the nature of things let me tell you God's not keeping anything good from you because I can tell you right now my grandson get hold of that drill God, if he gets hold of that drill he's going to hurt himself And he will come searching for you. But I want to tell you that the God who is looking for you will take care of the liar that gets in your ear. Because Jesus, Jesus is the victor. So what about the final question? The final question is the question that man asked god in genesis chapter 4 verse 8 we know that something tragic has happened we know that two brothers went out to offer up sacrifices one was a shepherd or looked after after animals and the other was a tiller of the ground they both brought sacrifices somehow it implies in the Bible that they should both knew already the sacrifice that they should bring but Cain was very happy with the work of his hands because he was a tiller of the ground he had beautiful vegetables nice ripe corn and pumpkins and beans and peas and all that sort of thing and he thought I'm proud of this I'm going to offer what of my substance under the lord and God was not happy with it he, please understand please understand here that it wasn't like god came down with him on him with a ton of bricks he told Cain that he was happy with abel's sacrifice the implication being it was an animal sacrifice Blood had been shed. And he said to Cain, Why are you looking so miserable? If you do well, I'll be happy with you as well. Okay, so it's not that God's going to clear him off the face of the earth. This is that he's saying to Cain, Look, there's a lesson here. If you do well, I'll be happy with you. But if thou do if you do not do well, beware. Sin lieth at the door. In other words, if you don't take my correction, there could be some very serious consequences that will compound out of this and then we know what happened that Cain, the sin that lieth at the door was envy and jealousy that God had said his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't hmm so he takes a stone while he's in the field and kills his brother first murder murder's pretty bad isn't it we may have a murderer here sitting in this church this morning hmm. god does forgive murderers too because he forgave he was willing to forgive cain but once again Cain was getting in far too deep and so God comes to Cain says where's Abel of course God knows where Abel is he says I don't know Am I my brother's keeper? So here now, Cain is asking God a question: Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for other people? Yes. You're going to make a you make a good preacher, mate. You see. We live in an insular world where we don't think we have any responsibility for anybody else, but Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as I have loved you." Yeah If you look at your Bible, it talks about the love of God. not only it talks about how much God loves us, but as we, his children, should be loving other people. Yeah How many in, in who, I, I, how many people sitting in here? before they became Christians, committed terrible sin. Yeah. None of us are immune. If it's not been with our hands or our mouth, it's been in our heads. And therefore, our brothers and our friends, our neighbours, whoever they are, we are God's means of showing people love we need to stop saying is that really my responsibility to care about them this is coming we're talking about the first three questions in the Bible and now the first question that man asks God is about his responsibility these are important questions like when I said you know we're out there at and everybody's Oh, Amen, Hallelujah. Well now I'm getting a bit closer to the bone. We do have this responsibility. Because if they're going to know the love of God, it's going to be through us. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, because you have loved one toward another. And we know that's talking about within the church but I can't go any further, I need to finish preaching and I'm going to carry this on tonight when we go to the daughter work and talk about building bridges how you can take the love of God into somebody else's life but isn't it wonderful when we sort of get into the Bible and just look Well, the first three questions in the Bible there's, there's more than that, there's so much here in the book of Genesis that that you can glean I, I, I uh, ran a Bible study when I was pastoring um, and uh, I'm going to run a Bible study four for things that come out of the book of Genesis and I got into the second lesson and God started to open my eyes and then I realised I probably had a dozen lessons by the time I'd taught the four I, had, I already had probably two dozen lessons that I could teach and I was most frustrated that I'd promised I would keep it to four lessons and, uh, and I didn't even see this back then so brothers and sisters their relationship with God was broken it was the blame game it was the woman you gave me that made me do it yeah strange we blame everybody except ourselves Am I my brother's keeper? You certainly are responsible for yourself. And so, as a result of this, two brothers fell out and families are still falling out with each other ever since then. With bitterness and fighting, it's plagued humanity. It all stems from back there, but we are the ones who will stop it in our lives, in our family, in our church. Just realize he's coming. Where art thou? Where art thou? And then when he finds you, he says, if thou doest well, you will also be accepted. Aren't they words of encouragement? Aren't they beautiful? You see, we are God is exhorting us to master sin otherwise it's going to master us and we have a God who is an expert in dealing with sin Amen Amen and let nothing be named amongst you you know I'm absolutely surprised sometimes with church when I was pastoring I uh, I went to a, a prayer meeting well I thought man I didn't know anything that was going on in this church until I got to this prayer meeting because people in the prayer meeting were saying oh God you know what is happening in this church This is happening and and that's happening I thought man oh man I don't know any of this it wasn't prayer it was gossip gossip under the guise of a prayer meeting so I went out of there and I, I drew these 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 cards up and stuck them in every room of the church rules when you're praying, you don't gossip while you're praying you pray for people but you don't pray about the precise problems, oh God you know how this man's having trouble with his wife and oh, God, of course God knows it, he doesn't need to be reminded and neither does the congregation Amen. the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins Yeah. so when when we see sin in our brothers and sisters in the church we don't start praying about it openly we cover it, we keep it quiet we take it to God and we cover it with love and we say no, no, I don't want to expose that God already knows it, he sees everything we don't need to be telling God what's going on, he already knows and the other people don't need to know either (coughs) so a forgiving God he covers sin amen so we don't only have a responsibility to other people but we need to tell people that God's searching for them it's here it's a lesson here he's still searching for the lost he's still searching for the wicked He's still trying to reach the greatest need that is in the hearts of your friends, your neighbours. And their greatest need is they are spirit in spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. They're going to die of spiritual starvation unless you reach out and tell them. At least give them the opportunity. Amen? And as I'll, you don't have to hit them between the eyes with the Bible because they read us before they'll read our Bible. If we show them love and we show them concern, God didn't come walking through the garden saying, You sinner, Adam, come out! He didn't. A loving voice cried out, where are you, Adam? God was wanting to convey love, not judgment he would deal with the sin, but that's the that's the cry that comes to us this morning. it's the cry of love, the cry from God's heart to you of course he cannot bypass the fact that we must repent he can't bypass the fact that we must not only kneel before his presence but get up and walk in victory if you trip over then there's, he provides how many times shall I forgive God himself says he would forgive 70 times 7 and that's only just a uh, as it were a, an abstract number and God is still saying to you here this morning if you thought and have given up hope as the greatest sinner that ever walked upon the face of the earth, God's still saying, if you do well, I'll be pleased with you. There's still hope. And Jesus is the one, who, the only one, who can fulfill God's promises in our life. Will you trust in him this morning? Will you, will you rise out of that sullenness and disappointment that you found yourself in And realize that this morning, not through me, but through the word of God, the words that were spoken in the book of Genesis are still calling. Where are you? Where are you? Because I want to restore that fellowship that we had before. Thank you, brother.